Who decides medicine prices? How are vaccines made? Do you have questions about the healthcare industry? Welcome to 19 Conversations. Today, we're marking the 13th anniversary of the IMI, the Innovative Medicines Initiative, and we're asking what value do such public-private partnerships bring for society? I'm Sue Saville. Thank you for joining the conversation. And a very warm welcome to both my guests here today. We have Dr. Pierre Moulien, current IMI Executive Director since 2015, um, Pierre has worked in the public sector for Genome Canada, Genome British Columbia, and for what is now the Molecular Medicine Ireland. He's also worked in the private sector for what is now Zenofi Pasteur. He has a PhD in molecular biology from University of Edinburgh and a postdoctoral fellowship from the Institut Pasteur in Paris and has Irish nationality. We also have Professor Michel Goldman. He was the very first IMI executive director. He's now at the Université Libre de Bruxelles, where he's a full professor. And before taking up his IMI role, Professor Goldman was head of the Department of Immunology, Hematology, Transfusion at Erasma Hospital in Brussels. He's also worked with biotech and pharmaceutical companies, and indeed he created the very first public-private partnership with GSK vaccines in Wallonia. So welcome to you both. You both seem to span the public-private partnership model yourselves. Welcome. Let's get straight down to basics then. Let's understand a little bit more about the public-private partnership model. What are they? Why were they set up? Why can they be advantageous? Perhaps, uh, Michelle, if I turn to you as a pioneer in this field. You have to realize that public-private partnerships are essential to align the interests of the public sector, public health, and the expectation of the private sector of the pharma industry. Obviously, everyone will say that we are working for patients, we are working to fight disease, but at the end of the day, there are specific interests, and it's very important to work together to make sure that those interests are aligned, and it's by doing so that we will serve the society in the best manner. And Pierre, what's your take on that? Is that the remit that you've inherited or have you broadened it? I very much inherited it. I think that this alignment that Michelle is talking about is the key piece. And the model, and especially IMI, for me, has incentivized industry to invest in parts of research and development that may not have received enough attention, but are of huge public value. And I think it's this balance that I think uh, Michelle and I are quite aligned on in terms of any project that's built within, that's launched within IMI, needs to have these two factors, needs to address a public health issue, and yet needs to bring industry to the table, de-risking some of their own investment. Because as you know, in the IMI model, the pharma industry doesn't receive any European Commission funding, but is a contributor to the program on an equal footing. So I think that alignment and the, the balance between public and private needs, I think, is the key. 
But there must be considerable challenges and perhaps even tensions then within that model, the public scrutiny, perhaps criticism, a sense of possibly blurring of lines between the legitimate public purposes, the public health you outline there, and this sense that pharmaceutical companies are out for their own profit. So how do you handle that tension, particularly perhaps, Michelle, in, in the early days as a pioneer? How did you get that balance? That was a real challenge. And especially if you think about intellectual property management, this was not easy to manage. But at the end, and I think it's perhaps the first real success of IMI, was to be able to find agreement in such a way that both academia and industry could take benefit of the discoveries that are made. These were not easy conversations, but at the end, the demonstration was made that people in this situation succeed to find solutions to what was considered as the very beginning are just impossible, actually. So you mentioned their intellectual property, IP. How important is it then in this context to share, but indeed also protect IP? The framework of intellectual property management is one that's true for today, all of Horizon 2020, the European Commission program under which we have. It's quite a broad framework, and it's up to each consortium that is created under IMI to decide exactly how these things are going to work within the consortium. So the consortium members have to buy into whatever is being proposed. And we have a whole spectrum of situations. So, uh, you know, if you look at two bookends, the first bookend is where the consortium decides that no intellectual property will be taken. So we have several projects like this, which are fantastic projects, where the companies decide in order to accelerate knowledge, and I think this has been one of the big things about IMI, that it really has been an accelerator of knowledge uh, creation. And in order to do that, people need from the public and private sides to buy into certain things. And so in certain projects, the consortium has decided that no intellectual property will be taken. So that's one bookend. And then on another bookend, if a pharmaceutical company is bringing an important asset to the table that is undergoing some early stage clinical assessment or whatever, then they will want, of course, to protect that asset in some way. So some of it is automatic because background intellectual property is de facto protected. But then results coming from a direct molecule that would be under testing, the consortium can agree that all of those results belong to the asset owner. So they're the kind of bookends, and then you have the full spectrum in between. And as it is, mostly we have focused on pre-competitive research, which means that companies decide on what the best base they need to define, because they need to agree up front to commit funds, to work together, to collaborate, to partner. Uh, and so that first step is really crucial to try and get our heads around, okay, so here's the topic. Everybody agrees that this is a pre-competitive play, and therefore, here are the rules we'll try and abide by. 
And interesting, so not all public-private partnerships have been seen by the public to perhaps be so transparent. I'm, I'm thinking of some of the infrastructure issues that have been. So how with this one, working with the pharmaceutical industry, how does that funding work? You touched on the money that is not received by pharmaceutical companies. Who's putting the money in and who's getting something out? How is that balance achieved on the financing? You know, I think that the critical point is to focus on areas of major public health importance on major unmet needs, which means that we focus on areas in which neither the private sector nor the public authorities can make a difference without working together. So that's very important from the beginning. If you do so, then you have to build on the strengths of each sector, which means that in industry, you have these infrastructures, you have the team spirit, you have all the management, project management capabilities. And on the academic side, you have the creativity, the imagination. And it's really important that each party understand the benefit to work with the other. And if you do so, it's indeed possible to define the right funding model. And if you do so, you understand and academia and the public, the politician, should understand that what industry can bring in is indeed its know-how, its infrastructures, the unique skills that you can find in the industry sector. On the other side, if I may say, obviously you need to support the academic teams, and it's true that the way research is financed nowadays in Europe means that you need public support, direct public support to these partners of the industry, and that's the logics behind the funding schemes of IMI. Thank you. So, Pierre, is that still the case or is there still a lot of tension about the funding, about who puts the money in and who is seen to be taking money out? Well, I think it's pretty clear now. And I think Michel coined the phrase, this end-to-end integration of research. Actually, when I give my briefings to the experts who come in to evaluate the projects, I still use some of Michel's slides. So, so uh, I hope he knows it, this. It just, I, uh, yeah. he, uh, he does. Uh, so um, the beauty of this model is that the commission provides the cash that then goes to the academics, the clinical researchers, but not only, right? We can also fund small, medium enterprises, SMEs, biotech companies, digital companies. We can fund regulators. We can fund health technology assessors. We can fund patient groups. And this is the beauty of bringing everyone together on this uh, neutral platform where these discussions can occur. The sweet spot for public-private partnerships are around certain types of project. The first one is market failure. So AMR is the typical example that we use. So why should pharmaceutical industry invest hundreds of millions of euro developing drugs that as soon as a new antimicrobial is authorized by the health authorities, 
people are going to say, oh, by the way, never use this drug, right? Or hardly ever, or keep it for last chance. And so the market disappears. So the market dynamics are completely changed. So this is, of course, you need a public-private partnership to get to where you want to. And that's where we are. And we've developed a lot of things in AMR. We've invested over a 1 billion euro in AMR. It's an amazing investment, but this has been with the pharma companies, with biotech companies, with uh, many other players. So that's one category. The other category, or another category, there are several, would be areas where the science is so complicated that companies would agree to create a pre-competitive space around this. And of course, the typical example is Alzheimer's disease and other neurological diseases, but other things, specific uh, cancer projects, other immunological projects that are very complex where no one can solve these problems alone. And so this becomes a sweet spot. And then the other type of project is where you need a kind of networked approach. You know, there's this project looking at the use of drugs in uh, pregnant women and those who are lactating called conception. And this is another Europe first, world first project where this network is now established. It's a young project, but it's already contributing, has contributed in the COVID debate around vaccination of pregnant women. So these things are of immediate impact to society. And then uh, perhaps another example comes along a pandemic. Um, what about that network approach? What about the collaboration? How has the public partnership model helped in terms of Europe's response to what's happened with COVID? Michelle, what would you say? We have to realize that among the vaccines which are there now, at least one of those vaccines is very much inspired by the vaccine which was developed against Ebola. And that's another important aspect. You know, sometimes things that you discover or you establish in a project will have important consequences later on. To what extent then has the pandemic underscored the need to enhance uh, collaboration and indeed public trust in the pharmaceutical industry? Michel? You know, that's perhaps the most important challenge we are facing nowadays. I would say to restore the trust in healthcare industries in general. And I really hope that by demonstrating what IMI succeeded to achieve, it will be an important element to convince the public at large society, that there is an added value in these unique collaborations. So we've had IMI 1 and 2, and now the European Commission proposes an innovative health initiative, IHI. So what is this and uh, what's it going to achieve? Uh, yes, well, a lot of the innovation around the design of the new partnership, which is going to be called the Innovative Health Initiative, IHI, comes from both some of the criticisms that were challenged for the IMI model, which were sometimes very useful, and also some of the recommendations coming from the evaluation of IMI. The last evaluation, I think, was around 2018, where they were challenging the model and say, okay, so why restrict this to the pharmaceutical industry only? Why not, now that you've proved the concept, and I'm always reminded that the first objective of IMI 1 
that Michel will know very well was to be a public-private partnership that demonstrated that it was not at all obvious that this could work, that the pharma industry, which is notoriously competitive, could sit around the table, could co-produce, could co-create topics, could work with the public sector in a consortium-type fashion to build value. Now that's been achieved, why not then bring the diagnostics, the med techs, the imaging, the digital together to provide a more integrated approach to a public-private partnership? And that is exactly what's being proposed. And that is the major innovation relative to IMI, this new cross-sectored approach. So this is looking ahead and it all builds on your legacy, Michel, for what you pioneered then with the public-private partnership. Perhaps in summary, there's so much there. And thank you both so much for all those insights and examples of, of how this has worked well and some of the challenges there. But in summary, I'd love to ask then going back really to the original question about the value that such partnerships bring to society. What would you each say that this public-private model the partnership model has actually brought to society. Michel, what would you say briefly? I would say that those partnerships really put patients at the center of each project, of each effort which is made. You know, to be patient-centric is a claim that you very often hear from different sides. But here we put this concept into action. And the fact that indeed regulatory agencies and patients are full partners is our good indication of this. And I really think that's the future. I think that the future will depend on getting the patients as real partners in the process. And the future will also depend on our capacity to realize that classical drugs or biologicals are not the only weapons we have to fight disease. The medtech sector is developing. We see more often the IT sector taking part, well, not only in therapeutics, but also in monitoring the patients. And that's why I think that the approach which has been taken to set up IHI is really the right one. Pierre, what about your thoughts? What would you say that this uh, PPP model has brought to society? Well, I mean, I think it's changed the ecosystem in which we function, you know, through collaboration. At the 10th anniversary of IMI, Carlos Muedas, who is the European Commissioner for Research and Innovation, coined the phrase radical collaboration. And he said, that's what IMI does, radical collaboration. And I use that term all the time now because he's absolutely right. And that has brought the value of involving the stakeholders. And we need to indeed get to the next phase of that, involving the European citizen more in deciding what's done and to understand the real value to the European citizen of what we're doing. Well, thank you both so much for your radical collaboration today. It's been a great pleasure having you with us, Dr. Pierre Mulian and Professor Michel Goldman. And thank you very much for listening to 19 Conversations. If you liked this podcast, please click the subscribe button to be the first to know when we release our next episode. And please leave a rating and a review. So until our next episode, we'd invite you to join the conversation on Twitter using the hashtag questions inspire solutions. Goodbye for now.